I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast Midweek Edition. I am your host, Ralph Amsden, and uh, we're going to be talking about Arizona State's win over Michigan State. Uh, Some of the comments, uh, fallout, um, excitement, everything that's been happening since then uh, leading up to San Diego State, and I'm going to take your questions as well. Before we get started, I do want to acknowledge uh, former Arizona State University basketball head coach, Don Newman. Um, he passed away on September 11th at age 60. Uh, if you remember, he had a brief stint, very brief stint, as the head coach uh, of, of ASU basketball after Bill Frieder resigned. Um, and so from uh, for that 1997-1998 season, he took the Sun Devils to an 18-14 and record, uh, nearly, nearly made the tournament with them, uh, and then uh, after that, left to uh, become an NBA assistant. He worked for the Bucks under George Carl, um, and uh, and was on Greg Popovich's staff for a while. Um, I think he even he even won a, a couple of championships there. Um, he he had a lengthy battle with cancer and and unfortunately passed away this past week. But I, I want to acknowledge him because you know he, he definitely plays a part in Sun Devil history. Um, in that time of transition as far as the basketball team goes. And, and, and what, what's interesting is he was a head coach before coming to Arizona State. He was the head coach at Sacramento State where he just had some absolutely dreadful seasons. Uh, went 3-24, 1-26, 3 in his final season there. I think he had an overall head coaching record of 20-114. and 114. At Sac State, but managed to take ASU uh, in 97-98 with Eddie House on the team to an 18-14 and record and go 8-10 and um, in the Pac-10. And, uh, that, and, and that's not even one of the more interesting things about him. Don Newman actually had a couple of cups of coffee in the NFL. Never played college football. He he played. Uh, he tried out for I think the Seahawks as a six foot three cornerback, massive cornerback for that time, um, and then went on to play a few seasons for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, and then came back and tried uh, tried out again one more time, uh, and spent spent a little bit of time with the New York Jets before going back to the CFL, and then ultimately you know turning around and and, and making a career out of coaching basketball. So absolutely fascinating human being. He will be missed. Rest Rest in peace, Don Newman, uh, born in uh, 1957, passed away this last September 11th at the age of 60. So let's jump right into this game. Uh, What a game. Arizona State upsets uh, number 15 in the AP poll. Uh, Michigan State 16 to 13. They do it on a last second field goal. Um, I I felt like Arizona State at times looked very very good in this game. Um, ultimately, uh, early on, it just came down to a couple of, of discipline issues uh, that cost them points. And then obviously, you know, Michigan State did a great job 
uh, when they were getting first downs of just bleeding the clock. And so ASU going into score uh, and into halftime scoreless was maybe a little bit deceptive. I thought for the most part ASU dominated in in the first quarter of this game. Uh, some of the notes that I took just from the from from the first quarter was I, I absolutely loved that they got Nikhil Harry involved right away. I love that the first thing they did was try to get him the ball, uh, but then you know they didn't try to get him the ball again until later when you know when they were facing a third and 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 twenty seven. And so uh, fantastic that they tried to get him involved in the offense immediately. But that probably needs to be something that you know that he feels a little bit more like a primary target than they used him uh, as in in that scenario. Um, and I think it was pretty. Uh, it looked as though ASU was going to kind of surrender the idea of running the ball from the start because they came out through the ball three straight times. Manny Wilkins missed Frank Darby um, and then got on Frank Darby for missing Frank Darby. Uh, apparently Darby ran the wrong route. They, they took some time to get on the same page and, you know, things seemed to be fine after that. But uh, some standout players for ASU during that first quarter. I thought Cole Cabral at center did an absolutely great job. Uh, of holding down his assignments and, and standing firm against a really, really stout Michigan State interior uh, defensive line. And then, you know, the guy that really, really stood out to me is uh, Paul Lucas. In the punt game, Arizona State had to punt a couple of times, and Paul Lucas is just down there every single time. It's like him and Michael Sleep Dalton share a brain or something. And so using Paul Lucas's speed to make sure that you, that, that nobody's really able to do any damage um, in the in in terms of, you know, when, when you have to punt to them um, has been fantastic for Arizona State so far this season. Um, as far as Michigan State goes, had it not been for Brian Lewerke's mobility, uh, I, mean, I think any other quarterback in that first quarter absolutely gets destroyed. The left side of Michigan State's offensive line was completely overwhelmed from the start. Uh, the, the, the left tackle was getting pushed back by Malik Lawal. Uh, number 59, their left guard, I mean, just absolutely blew it on on a couple of assignments um you know leading to you know Darian Butler blowing up their running back in the backfield early on uh but you know what the right side of his offensive line Jordan Reed and Kevin Jarvis Jordan Reed the tackle Kevin Jarvis the guard they were incredible it it wasn't until they started to to use uh, the right side of that offensive line, that they really started moving the ball. Um, Arizona State couldn't get any pass rush pressure uh, with the left side of their defensive line to the left side of their pass rush, um, and and they were able to run the ball, uh, you know, between guard and tackle, bet- between uh, center and guard, all on the right side, and, and eat up yards uh, that basically took up half of the entire first quarter. You know, so you end the first quarter scoreless, but Michigan State was on the march, and a huge reason for that was just these dominant dominant sophomores in Jordan Reed and Kevin Jarvis for, for, for Michigan State on the right side of the line. So the first quarter ends up uh, scoreless, and I, I would say probably the thing that stood out to me the most about that first quarter was a play uh, where Eno Benjamin um, actually, uh, you know, it was a design run up the middle, and he ended up cutting it back to the right side, and he was able to do so because <laughs> Uh, Manny Wilkins threw a block for him on a six foot four, two hundred and eighty five pound defensive tackle named Mike Panasek, uh, and I just uh, that right there to, told me uh, that Arizona State had, I think, the attitude that was going to be necessary uh, to play with some of these big physical players from Michigan State. The second quarter was really a story of saviors uh, for Arizona State. Um, Rennell Wren. 
absolutely dominated this quarter in the red zone. Um, he he had two plays uh, that ended that Michigan State long drive that took up most of the first quarter by just blowing up the center, uh, blocking uh, somebody into Brian Lewerke, uh, and then blowing up the play again. They, they settled for a field goal because Rennell Wren destroyed the line of scrimmage twice inside the 10-yard line. Um, and then he came back, he did it a third time. The next time they got in the red zone, he blew the play up. And then what Arizona State, I mean, Arizona State had Michigan State thinking that Rennell Wren was invincible because they then dropped back to pass uh, in what was probably the most brilliant defensive call of the game for Danny Gonzalez. He deserves a lot of credit for this. Rennell Wren blows up the entire line of scrimmage, right? And, and Kyle Soley gets in there to make a tackle for a loss. This is Michigan State's second time in, in the red zone uh, of the second quarter. And on the next play, they have to drop back into pass with extra support in pass coverage. They had seven people. Seven people drop back to block for Brian Lewerke. And ASU only rushed three. They only rushed three up the right side. Rennell Wren faked like he was going to, and then he even dropped back into coverage. Darian Butler ends up getting to the quarterback anyway, even though it was seven on three. Hits Brian Lewerke. He throws up a desperation pass. DeMonte King tips it. Daz Tadalatasi picks it off. Uh... And, I mean, it was just everything about that was just a brilliant call by Danny Gonzalez because they they had to make an adjustment for what Rennell Wren was doing. And then they completely faked Michigan State out of their socks. I mean, Darian, and to, to have Darian Butler still get to the quarterback in that situation is just completely unconscionable for Michigan State. That's got to be something that they've got a ton of regret about. And, and Brian Lewerke probably should have thrown that ball out of the back of the end zone. But he didn't have any time to think. He had seven people drop back to block for him. Not one of them did what they were supposed to. Uh, and so a great call by Danny Gonzalez. That gives Arizona State uh, new life on offense. But that's when you see that Manny Wilkins started to sail some passes. Um, he overthrew Terrell Chapman. He overthrew Frank Darby. He overthrew Terrell Chapman on another play where he just wasn't aware that Casey Tucker was uh, blocking in front of him. P.S. Casey Tucker in the second quarter, masterful. Just, I mean, every time he got his hands on somebody, he put them on their back. Uh, and and you, you figure that Arizona State at least started to get some... Uh, progress toward the end of the quarter. They they were within field goal range with about 50 seconds left. And um, and Michigan State, Kenny Willekes basically uh, splits the offensive line. Quinn Bailey had every opportunity to block Willekes, to block Willekes, but he he never got his body into position. And Willekes gets a free shot on Manny, who who overthrows the ball. It gets intercepted, and that's how we we end up going to halftime at three to nothing. When Arizona State really had the opportunity to put some points on the board uh, there at the end, a couple of things that stood out to me about that second quarter, a couple of players that that stood out. Um, Cade Cote came in and played a little bit for Roy Hemsley at right guard. Um, he his missed block on a, on a third and one got Eno blown up. But other than that, especially in pass coverage, I thought Cote played pretty well. Um, Eno Benjamin absolutely uh, 
save the day by recovering a low snap from Cole Cabral that bounced off Manny Wilkins' ankle and ended up turning what would have probably been a 16-yard loss into a 9-yard loss. And so that 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 really helped uh, Arizona State in that situation. And then you started to see what Merlin Robertson was capable of in this second quarter. He knocked a pass down uh, rushing from the left side, and then he made Lewerke sail another uh, on a screen pass that probably would have got some positive yardage. Uh, and so the, the, the second quarter, you know, um, a mixed bag, some some great individual performances, uh, but you see Manny start to miss on some balls. You see the offensive line break down a little bit, um, and a hard hard fought quarter. But at halftime, you go in with Michigan State leading three to nothing, and the momentum seemingly on their side because they end the quarter with an interception, and they're getting the ball after halftime. The theme of the third quarter was really forcing things. Uh, both Brian Lewerke and Manny Wilkins really tried to take this game over on their own. Both coaching staffs had completely abandoned the idea of running the ball. And, and, and Brian Lewerke is somebody I watched play in high school. You know, he's a guy that can make throws that nobody should be able to make, but he's also somebody that struggles a, a, a little bit with finding the open receiver, and he'll try to force balls into windows uh, where something's not necessarily there. And that's a lot of what happened in, in, in this uh, um in this third quarter, I mean, he again, he did have a couple of throws. He threw a ball from the 33-yard line off his back foot, uh, going backwards all the way to the opposite 21. I mean, it was just an amazing throw. Um, you know, that drive probably should have been over had that been any other quarterback. Uh, it it would have been. You know, he had five defenders in his face when he made that throw. Um, and that allowed Michigan State to kind of work the ball inside the 10-yard line again. And what happens inside the 10-yard line? Rennell Wren wrecks everything. And that's what happened again. Rennell Wren in the red zone um, might be the best player in college football at this point. I'm trying not to be hyperbolic, but you got to understand uh, what Rennell Wren did on this drive alone, he saved a touchdown. Because when Brian Lewerke, uh, you know, Rennell Wren took out the center and the right guard by himself. Knocked them into Lewerke, who had to fall over in order to be able to get the handoff uh, to, um, to Connor Hayward. And Connor Hayward, after all of that, after the center had got blown up, after the right guard had gotten blown up, and Lewerke had to basically throw the handoff to him, Connor Hayward was still not in very bad position. Uh, you know, the the way the play was developing, had had Rennell Wren been stood up by any one of those two defenders when they attempted to double-team him, that probably goes for a touchdown. And so you here you have Rennell Wren saving another touchdown. That turns it into a field goal, puts Michigan State up 6 to nothing. Um and then, you know, ASU comes back and they, they get a field goal of their own, which really, again, forcing the issue works sometimes. It worked for Lewerke on the previous drive, and it worked for ASU, you know, when Manny Wilkins was able to actually get ASU in field goal range with a scramble. Uh, Brandon Reese had a 49-yarder that barely squeaked in over the upright, so they needed every single one of those yards that Manny Wilkins was able to give them. Um, but after that, you, you know, you go back to Lewerke forcing the ball, um, and, and the same, same with Manny Wilkins. And uh, Manny Wilkins ends up fumbling uh, late in the third quarter after he probably kept a ball that he should have handed off on an option to Eno Benjamin. Um, you know, just things really weren't going well for ASU. And Raekwon Williams had a chance to probably put Arizona State away right then and there. 
uh, for Michigan State had he had big number 99 just fallen on the ball, but he bent over, tried to pick it up, and Eno, Eno Benjamin, who probably messed up in pass coverage, uh, which caused Manny Wilkins to fumble on that play, you know, ends up picking up his second uh, errant uh, ball on the ground of the day. So ASU has an opportunity to to punt it away, and then Michigan State ends up scoring anyway uh, because they get bailed out by by what looked to be a pretty iffy uh, pass interference call on Ashari Crosswell, and then uh, Brian Lewerke, who is getting I, I believe it I believe um, it was Darian Butler who who got through and blew. Uh, Brian Lewerke up at the 40-yard line. He still managed to get the pass off and throw a touchdown to 6'3", Cody White, uh, who, as a sophomore, was just... Um, he, he was tough. Uh, let's put it that way. For anybody that was in the slot, anybody that was trying to cover him, uh, he, he really, really, really had a great game. Um, and so, you know, Cody White ends up getting the touchdown, and then you have... Uh, Michigan State up 13-3, to things not looking very well for ASU. And then all of a sudden, Manny Wilkins stops kind of forcing things and really starts to settle down. He hits Frank Darby on a couple of passes over to the right sideline. Darby draws a, a, a pass uh, or a face-masking call. And then, you know, he hits uh, Nikhil Harry on a back shoulder throw, and the third quarter ends with Ryan Newsom uh, catching a ball that, that seemed to have caught all of the Michigan State players completely unaware to get Arizona State down inside the 10 yard line. Arizona State completely dominated the fourth quarter. I'm going to be honest. I mean, to come out, uh, Josh Butler and Justin Lane, they made great plays uh, on each um, sideline of the end zone. Um, Manny Wilkins wasn't able to connect uh, with either Harry or Darby, and so they had to kick a field goal, which made it 13-6. to But after that, it was just all Arizona State. And, and I think, I won't just say dominated um in every aspect of the game, but the co-coaching as well, which to Herm Edwards' detractors, might, it might be surprising to think that, um, you know, Mark D'Antonio was completely outcoached by Herm Edwards' staff, but that's what happened in this case. Arizona State was more physical. Tyler Johnson blocked a punt. I mean, well, first of all, leaving an up back to cover a six foot six, two hundred and sixty pound uh, guy who can run a four six might not have been the smartest thing in the world. And ASU really could have taken command right there, but Manny Wilkins came out. He overthrew three passes. Um, he was a little bit with, upset with Frank Darby again um, on on one of them, but he came out. He he overthrew uh, three passes and it came to the defense to get the ball back for for Arizona State. They did again, um, and then a blown coverage uh, really helped Manny. I think get his groove. Kyle Williams was left wide open, and he gets he gets Arizona State um, down. Uh, you know, inside the thirty yard line, and, and then Nikhil Harry just takes over from there. The touchdown catch that he had on on Justin Lane. I mean, poor Justin Lane. He did his absolute best. He did his absolute best, but he just. Uh, he couldn't hang, and when he could hang, it's because he was literally hanging on. Uh, and so, um, I mean, Nikhil Harry gets his touchdown. That ties the game. And then Arizona State runs like the, the same defense over and over and over again because Michigan State has no idea what to do about it. First of all, Merlin Robertson was rushing from the left side every single time. And the right end, who I, th I think at the time was either Jalen Bates or Doug Sutil, I think it might have been Jalen Bates, was uh, uh, dropping back into coverage every single time. And Michigan State had success on a screen pass up the left sideline, but after that, 
they <laughs> uh, they drop the right end into coverage, and, and he ends up over a streaking tight end. And Merlin Robertson uh, just absolutely destroys, absolutely destroys Brian Lewerke. And that was the first time that he was sacked all game. He had some help from, from Darius Slade, uh, who, who helped get there as well. But Jordan Reed, the right tackle, who absolutely dominated in the first quarter, he had no idea what to do. The offensive line had no idea what to do about Arizona State's defense uh, because you had Kalen Thomas. I mean, they were trying to double-team Kalen Thomas rushing up the middle. And Kalen Thomas, he's a little bit shorter, and he, wear he wears like a defensive back's number in number 20. So it, would it looked so hilarious to see these two 300-pound men try to converge on Kalen Thomas while they let a six foot three, 260-pound freshman rush unimpeded like four plays in a row, two of which he makes a sack on. The final one, he forces a fumble. Jordan Reed actually recovers covers that fumble um but on that on, on the the one where Merlin Robinson forced the fumble Jordan Reed literally had no idea what was going on didn't block a soul uh just watched Kalen Thomas get handled by the guard and center uh just I mean unbelievable uh defensive calls by Danny Gonzalez and and the fact that Michigan State wasn't doing anything about it what are you what are you going to do there and so they're forced to punt uh Arizona State gets a long uh, gets a long field, and then they don't put any pressure on the quarterback. They drop seven back into coverage, and Manny Wilkins hits Brandon Ayuk on the right sideline, which would have been a huge gain had he not come down in bounds. But that just went to show you, like they were scared of Nikhil from the last play of what, of, uh, of what he was able to do. So they're dropping as many people into coverage as they can, and then it just shows them right away. It doesn't matter how many people you drop in coverage. If Manny Wilkins is on, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about this. So what do they do on the next play? They drop seven into coverage again, and usually with seven in coverage you know you want to take advantage of a def uh, defense's aggression when you when you, when you throw a screen and instead of that ASU does a little bit of misdirection they draw all the linebackers you know to go to their right ASU's left uh, on the left side of the field and they hit you know Benjamin on a screen and he takes that ball uh, well into uh, Michigan State territory when when you drop 7 you shouldn't be able to have a screen pass go for as many yards as it did uh, but that's how it worked for Arizona State and then you know Manny Wilkins uh, you know overthrows a couple of receivers but then Justin Lane bails Arizona State out by interfering with Manny Wilkins. Um, and at this point, you could have just thrown to Manny Wilkins every single time. Justin Lane was going to have to interfere. There was just nothing he can do. His his spirit was really broken after that touchdown. He was trying to hold on every play, and you know that put uh, that put Arizona State in a position to go out and win the game. And and Manny Wilkins, you know he he had a quarterback scramble for a first down where he slid down inbounds, which was very smart. Um, and then Eno Benjamin ran really well, and that allowed Herm Edwards to run the clock out. Have Arizona. State kick a field goal with no time left on the clock, and bam, there you have it. Arizona State 16, Michigan State 13. They're 2-0, and that has led us into an extremely interesting week of pundits uh, either backtracking or doing sort of halfway mea culpas or, um, you know, because this was a nationally panned hire. I certainly had questions about the hire, but I think all of my questions were essentially about what Arizona State was going to be doing two years from now. 
not necessarily this year, not with returning the players that they did, not with having a senior quarterback, not with the offensive line transfers that they got in, not with Nikhil Harry on the team, not when you've seen Eno Benjamin run the ball. Uh, the, the Really, the success of this really depended on whether or not the 3-3-5 had a smoothless or seamless installation from Danny Gonzalez, which it seems to have, and whether or not Rob Likens could call an offense. And it seems like, you know, there were some hiccups in this game where it seemed like they forgot they had a running game altogether. You know, when I went back and watched the game, I thought, you know, oh, ASU must have given up on the run because they were getting stuffed on the run. No, they really just kind of got away from it. And so I'm sure there's some questions that you can ask Rob Likens about what, you know, what they chose to do offensively. You know, there there was some issues with, with Manny Wilkins, but you can't look at that game and say like, oh, you know, uh, th- it's very obvious to even the layman or even the expert that Herm Edwards is a detriment to Arizona State University because that was the national attitude, that Herm Edwards was a detriment to Arizona State University. At Pac-12 Media Day, when the media collectively voted Arizona State last in the Pac-12, they were doing so fully understanding that this was a returning roster that beat Arizona, that beat number five Washington at home. They knew. They knew all of those things. This is a team that was probably third place at worst fourth. And they said, no, Herm Edwards is actually going to cost them games. He's going to cause them to be the worst team in the Pac-12. Now, Pac-12 play has not started yet. You can't project out from being 2-0 and say that they won't be 2-10. Arizona State fans know this because Arizona State was 5-1 two years ago and finished what? 5-7. So, no, there is no definitive answer on whether or not the Herm Edwards hire was good or working, but I think the question has been answered. Does Herm Edwards have the ability to coach a football team? Is he actually going to lose you games? Is he going to be a net negative? And after that game against Michigan State, I think the answer is a definitive no. He's fine. It'll be up to how he builds the program and how he handles things within the Pac-12 to see ultimately what his legacy is. But Arizona State can't be worrying about Herm Edwards' legacy right now. They've got San Diego State to prepare for. What did Arizona State win on Saturday? Obviously, it was a football game, right? They beat the number 15 team in the country. They're now number 23, according to the AP, number 25, according to the coaches' poll. So they won a game. They won some respect. But what else did they win? What was really on the line Saturday? Well, behind the scenes... The coaching staff decided to gamble and go all in on inviting anybody that would show up. I think the number we reported was 70 recruits, 40 with offers. Not everybody showed up, so I don't think that was the exact number, but there were a lot of high-profile, very important recruits out at that game on Saturday. They went all in. They invited everybody to the blackout. They said, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But they had all those kids out there. They needed to do something. And defensively, they really did put on quite a show, and offensively, they got the job done. 
and I talked to a lot of these recruits that they invited out to the game afterward, and you should listen to some of the things that these guys had to say. This is the same Herm Edwards that was supposed to be completely irrelevant. And now, I want to take one step back and say that every time that I say or mention any type of criticism directed toward Herm Edwards, I'm just mentioning some of the criticism that's out there. Some of it I might personally share. So I'm not being flippant. When I say, you know, this is the same Herm Edwards that was supposed to, uh, you know, not understand how to coach at all, you know, there are some critics who would obviously fall under that umbrella and some who don't. But for the most part, everybody had some type of criticism of this hire. So I talked to some of these kids and I asked them, you know, what does this change for Herm Edwards? Does it change anything about who he is in your mind? And it was, it was very, very interesting to get some of the feedback from some of these kids. Let me read some of this to you. I talked to Drake Metcalf, a St. John Bosco offensive lineman, class of 2023 star, already has a bunch of offers. And he said the players at ASU are lucky to be coached by someone who is as experienced as Coach Herm Edwards. Now, is there pressure on him to say something positive because I'm a reporter that covers Arizona State and this might ultimately get back to the coaches? Maybe. But listen to some of the frankness of, of, of some of the people that I talk to. People that have plenty of options, that don't even need Arizona State. 2020 defensive back Keely Ringo, a five-star, the number one ranked cornerback in the entire country from Saguaro High School. This win definitely shows that Herm Edwards is still a great coach and is still one of the best to ever do it. The Pac-12 games will definitely show where ASU stands, though. So Keely Ringo, he's got some perspective on it. This absolutely shows that the results are all that matter. This shows that Herm Edwards is still a great coach and one of the best to ever do it. Now, do it, he, he, he probably is also referring to him, you know, being around football in the capacities of a broadcaster and a player and everything like that, his entire legacy around football. Because obviously Herm Edwards didn't have a ton of success at the NFL level. But that's respect from a five-star who has plenty of options, doesn't need to go out of his way to say anything nice about Arizona State. Another kid, uh, Lathan Ransom, who has gotten offers from all over the country. He's a three-star out of South Point High School in Tucson, Arizona. He's gotten offers from all over the country. He says, I think Herm Edwards is ready for Pac-12 play. They were balling last night and playing hard, and I think that all has to do with Coach Edwards. So Lathan Ransom, who has offers from Michigan, just got an offer from USC, is getting offers from all over the country. He has no reason to go out of his way to praise Herm Edwards or Arizona State. He has options everywhere. He says the reason that they're playing that well, his perception, his reality, is that it all has to do with Coach Herm Edwards. Kaheem Walid, very talented wide receiver in Queen Creek, Arizona, 6'3", 185, incredibly agile, um, he's probably not somebody who's even going to end up at Arizona State. You know, he's looking at Cal. He's looking at University of Arizona. Um, what he had to say about Herm Edwards is, I feel like Herm Edwards is a great coach and that he's ready to take on some of the big schools in the Pac-12. Brendan Rice, 2020 wide receiver, four-star out of Hamilton High School. He talked about the environment. He said the ASU blackout game was incredible. 
He talked about Nikhil Harry playing like he he's talked about loving watching Nikhil Harry play. These players that came out to the game, they really responded positively to what was going on. And ASU really, really went all out to get all these guys to come out. I mean, there were commits to other schools. A couple of, uh, there was a 2019 Cal commit, Brett Johnson, 2020 Cal commit, um, a big six foot eight defensive tackle that was out there. Uh, they had a Saguaro offensive lineman, um, Jalen Jeffers, six foot six, 260. And uh, I asked him about Herm Edwards. He said, it doesn't matter what anyone is saying about Herm Edwards. He's doing big things and making everyone in the Valley proud to be a Sun Devil fan. He's a great coach, regardless of what anyone's saying. So these kids are aware of all of the disparaging remarks that have been, about, have been made about Herm Edwards. Literally, this is how they're recruited. You, when, when, when Arizona State hired Herm Edwards, if you don't think that the people that were trying to recruit guys away from Arizona State weren't calling these kids and saying, right, can you believe that they hired a guy who hasn't coached? at all in nine years, hasn't coached in the college game in 30? They absolutely know. Listen to some of the guys who are already committed to Arizona State and what they have to say. Joey Yellen, Mission Viejo quarterback. I feel the same way about Herm Edwards' critics as I did before this game. I think they were wrong. You don't spend that much time around high-level football and forget it. I have a lot of confidence in Coach Edwards, and I would never have committed to ASU if I didn't. That's jo that's Joey Yellen. That's a quarterback that's coming in to play under Herm Edwards. Had an offer from University of Georgia. Kiwan Markham, who a lot of people think that Arizona State's in a very good position with, played at Long Beach Poly under Antonio Pierce. He said, Herm Edwards is legendary. He will do his job as a head coach, and I think he will do great in the Pac-12. That game made critics eat their words, but of course the conference is tough. He has a whole season ahead of him, and he will do his part. Connor Soley committed to Arizona State. I think Coach Edwards is definitely proving all the critics wrong. He's got all the players bought into the same thing, and they're all hungry to win, which makes a team great. Lastly, I think it was a great win, and I think it proves Coach Edwards can hang in the Pac-12. That's a kid that plays for a program that wins a championship every single year. I think he knows what success looks like. Andre Johnson, who's committed to Arizona State, he's more realistic about it. He said, the critics are still going to try to downplay this win, but if they win their next game, I believe the critics will have to get a new perspective on the Herm Edwards era. And he's right. If the team starts 3-0, and and a lot of these people said they'd go 3-9 and this year, then unless they go winless in the Pac-12... Some people are going to have to take a little bit of a different view. So if the recruits that saw Arizona State in person had these things to say about Herm Edwards, and I don't feel like a lot of that was fluff, I feel like the kids that I talk to, they understand football. Now, they're naive in the sense that they only know what they know. If you don't put them in front of a coach, I mean, they, they only know Nick Saban if they experience Nick Saban. These aren't kids that spend a lot of time watching football. They play football. So they know what they know. So you invite them out, you put them in Sun Devil Stadium, and you beat the number 15 team. Now that's what they know about you because that's their experience. Their experience is limited to really that. So I think Arizona State did a fantastic job with these recruits this weekend, and ultimately that was the big win. But what a gamble it was. A bigger gamble than taking three knees and kicking the field goal to end the game. Having all those recruits out there put Arizona State in position 
to be able to bring in some of the kids that they need to have sustained success. Some of the kids that they need to be able to fulfill Ray Anderson's wishes for when he brought Hermit Edwards in here in the first place. Staying on the topic of recruiting, Antonio Pierce played for University of Arizona, now coaches at Arizona State. Um, he's the recruiting director. Named recruiting director, uh, you know, he's he's been the linebackers coach for a few months. Um, and uh, prior to this, he was the head coach at Long Beach Poly. Prior to that, he was at ESPN. Prior to that, he was a New York Giants Super Bowl champ, pro bowler. Prior to that, a Washington Redskin. Prior to that, University of Arizona. Prior to that, you know, Mount St. San Antonio. Um, or Mount St. Antonio in, in, uh, in California. He was a JUCO product. Grew up in Compton. I think that he's the perfect choice to be the recruiting director for Arizona State. And I wrote about this for devilsdigest.com. He's been in the head coach's shoes that he's going to be talking to. He went 31-15 and 15 in four seasons as the head coach of Long Beach Poly. Sure, plenty of recruiting directors out there have been coaches and can identify with coaches. But have they been head coaches at a high-level school where everybody comes to recruit? You have to understand that coaches were kissing the ring for Antonio Pierce quite a bit over the last four years to get at some of these players. In 2015, he had the number three player in the country in Amon Marshall. In 2015, Arizona State went and grabbed the number 12 defensive lineman in the country in JoJo Wicker. He had the number two dual threat quarterback in the 2016 class in Malik Henry. After Malik Henry left, he had the number three pro-style quarterback in the country in 2018's Matt Coral. He had Jack Jones, who was the number 12 player in the country at the time, regardless of position. He had the number 108 overall player, who was a former five-star and wide receiver, Jalen Hall. The number nine tight end in the country in the 2018 class in Cameron McDonald. He had the number 13 defensive back in the country in Ashari Crosswell, who plays for Arizona State now. Plus, he had a bunch of three-star players that would have been the best player at a regular high school that anybody sees in a five- to ten-year period. He knows what coaches can do to get on a kid's radar because he's seen these coaches in action try to get his kid's attention. He also knows that it helps sometimes to just be honest. Don't string a kid along. You don't have to actively recruit a kid to your institution to help them. It's more helpful to a kid to know that you're not going to recruit them so that they can move on. If you tell a prospect, hey, I think you're great, I have these other contacts, I'll send a text on your behalf, that's 10 times better than saying, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, and then all of a sudden your spots are filled up. He knows what it takes to stay in a high school head coach's good graces. 
He knows the things that he didn't like. He knows some of the disingenuous behaviors that he saw when he was at Long Beach Poly. He knows what works and he knows what doesn't. And he went through it with his own son. His son is at Boise State. He's a star defensive back out there. So he went through the recruiting process as a coach and as a parent. He's going to understand what these parents are going through. He's going to understand what these high school coaches have to deal with. He'll have the respect of having been in their position. And if that's not good enough for these high school coaches, you're not going to be better equipped. He's made money at every level doing this, whether it was coaching high school, whether it was talking about football on television, whether it was playing football at a high level and going to a Pro Bowl. And I'm not here to kiss Antonio Pierce's butt. I, you know, there are a lot of good linebackers in the NFL. Not everybody could do what he's doing in this position. Not everybody's had that versatile a background. Not everybody has the attitude that he's bringing into it. And not everybody is from the exact region that Arizona State needs to pull from. He knows California. One of the criticisms of the Todd Graham era was that they did not get enough or do enough in California to really gain a, a, a foothold and get some of the players that they needed. The players they did offer were the elite of the elite, and Arizona State almost always finished runner-up to USC for a lot of the players that they were targeting. In the Todd Graham era, some of these schools that Antonio Pierce coached against, by the way, Narbonne, five offers during the Todd Graham era, no one committed. Chaminade, five offers during the Todd Graham era, no one committed. Servite, same thing, five offers, no one committed. They went one for eight at Mission Viejo, Christian Laval. They went one for ten at Corona Centennial, Milo Jordan. They went one for ten at De La Salle, Daz Tadalatasi. 0 for 15 at Modern Day. 1 for 17 at Gardena Serra in Scrappy Norman. 2 for 17 at St. John Bosco. They had a couple other guys uh, either commit or get close to commit, but flipped. But they did get Zach Robertson and Demetrius Flowers. ASU already has 17 offers out to St. John Bosco kids who haven't graduated yet. And there were 17 offers out to St. John Bosco players in the entire Todd Graham era. ASU has also received half as many commitments from the schools that I just talked about as they did over the entire previous six-year regime. They got Merlin Robertson because of Antonio Pierce. They got Darian Butler because of Antonio Pierce. Antonio Pierce coached against and beat Joey Yellen. He knows Joey Yellen. They had success with Jermaine Lolly and Ashari Crosswell. Obviously, they played for him at Long Beach Poly, so he's still got the Long Beach Poly connection. Antonio Pierce was on board when ASU finally locked down Jordan Porter from Etiwanda. Etiwanda doesn't have a great relationship with, with, with Arizona State prior to that. You know, they had a player that committed to Arizona State, designed a commitment video and everything, and Arizona State didn't take the commitment. He ended up uh, taking a scholarship to Washington to play running back. They also got Jarrett Bell out of Norco after Antonio Pierce was in place. I'm not saying he's the one responsible for the commits, but what I'm saying is if you're going to recruit in that area, who better than... Antonio Pierce, who lived in California, coached in California, played juco ball in California. There's not going to be anybody better. His resume speaks for itself. And he, he gets it. If you follow him on social media, you understand that he speaks young person. Maybe it's just having a son that age. Maybe it's being around football. But some of these graphics that are designed specifically for him, you know, they, he's... It, 
you don't necessarily want to sell the idea that you're going to be somebody's friend. Because these kids don't need a friend, they need a coach. But you might as well play for somebody that you enjoy being around. Someone that can coach you and still hold you accountable. But doesn't have to spit in your face while screaming at you to get your life together. Somebody that can say, I've been there, here's how you do it. Somebody that can show you instead of push you. And I think that that's something that when you look at Antonio Pierce and his resume and what he's been able to do, he's blazed that trail. He can say, here's what I did. Here's what you should do as well. He understands the business side of football. Player, coach, member of the media. Uh, He understands how to maintain relationships. If he didn't, then Herm Edwards would not have reached out and brought him back. They worked together at ESPN. You know, so I, I asked a few questions in the article that I wrote for Devil's Digest. I said, who better to convince kids that any preconceived notion they have about an institution needs further examination than someone who left a great job to take a job with his alma mater's hated rival? He's a wildcat. Who better to appeal to those with a JUCO product mindset than a successful JUCO product? Who better to appeal to those that want to exceed expectations in their rankings and get to the NFL than someone who actually did that? Who better to appeal to those who wish to have a life in football after playing football is over than someone who's done multiple versions of exactly that thing? So Arizona State made a fantastic hire with Antonio Pierce. And I think it's going to pay big dividends. Rapping in your ear now. I might praise on state. Caught up in the way now. Can you roll with the weight? there was a commitment this week so let's go ahead and get into that a little bit one week after offering Millennium, which is in Goodyear, Arizona, on the far west side, one year after offering Millennium defensive lineman Anthony Cooper, uh, he committed. He committed to Arizona State. Uh, he said that he knew that that's what he wanted to do immediately, um, but that obviously, you know, he had to weigh his options. He didn't have. Uh, a ton of offers. This is somebody who uh, hadn't really been evaluated by too many colleges. It's not a place that a lot of people go. Not a lot of people get out to Millennium. Um, and so he's currently rated as a two-star by rivals. He hasn't been evaluated yet. He's somebody that I really like. He's somebody that I wrote about this summer. Gary Chambers introduced uh, me to him in early June out at a camp at Arizona State. Told me he was going to be a great football player to keep an eye on him. You know, he I think he had a South Dakota State offer. He had an NAU offer. Then Arizona State comes in. Um, you know, I, I talked to him after he committed and he said he was wanting to commit as soon as they made the offer because he loved the facilities, he loved the coaches, he loved the atmosphere. Um, and when he ended up talking to his coaches, they said, you know, this is probably going to be the best decision for you. You know, why dance around it if the offer is committable and this is where you want to play, you want to be around your family, then do it. And that's what he decided to do. So he's going to join uh, DJ Heckard, which we have a, an evaluation of him. I sent somebody out to watch him in person in Las Vegas last week. Uh, you can check that out on devilsdigest.com. But he joins DJ Heckard um, as, uh, as, you know, one of the two commitments to the defensive line. And uh, he... I'll tell you what, from watching him, he's definitely similar physically to JoJo Wicker. 
Now, JoJo Wicker came in with a lot of hype. Obviously, he was a four-star, um, played for Antonio Pierce at Long Beach Poly. Uh, they're shade of, both shade under 6'3", both about 275 pounds, both in really great shape, high motor, athletic. Um, I feel, personally, he plays a little bit more like, uh, like Jackson Hood who was committed to, to Arizona State a few years ago at a Hamilton, made uh, a freshman uh, All-American. I, I feel like he has the ability to step in and play right away if you need him to. At the same time, I'm really curious to see what Joe Connolly, the strength coach, uh, does with him. Um, he, he's a pretty impressive blank slate as far as a college strength coach with, with Joe Connolly's resources. You know, I, I, think, I think that they're going to put him in position to succeed. Um, Arizona State... I, Anthony Cooper's commitment tell you one thing that Ricky Pearsall's commitment should have told you, that Connor Soley's commitment should have told you, that Roman Duessa's commitment should have told you, is they don't care about our recruiting rankings. Uh, at Rivals, they don't care about 24-7. They don't care about ESPN recruiting rankings. They have Al Luganbill in place as director of player personnel. They have an entire staff of film, uh, of people watching film underneath him. They got Fred Gamage, uh, who's out there uh, looking around the local scene. They got Donnie Yontis, who who coached and is local and has relationships here. You know, they've got this entire staff that has the ability to tell what a good player looks like and what a good player um has in their tool bag as far as what you can work with later on they want big tall fast kids that they can develop over time well they got a big tall athletic guy who's light on his feet that they can probably develop over time and who might be able to play right away if they need him to do they care that rivals hadn't had a chance to evaluate him yet no do they care that he didn't have any uh, other major offers yet no because they know exactly what it is that they're looking for now if you are you know out there and in saying to yourself but ray anderson promised four and five stars um ray anderson is an athletic director and frankly didn't and to use the word that he always uses frankly doesn't necessarily know what all goes into this now am i saying that anthony cooper is better than some of the other guys that they have on their board is he going to be ty robinson out of higley who's a four star and an absolute monster of a defensive lineman maybe not i mean we'll see this weekend they play each other Millennium at Higley. Make sure you check it out. Uh, but, you know, there's definitely a, a little bit of a drop-off there, objectively. It all depends on what Arizona State's coaching staff is going to do with these guys when they come in. The guys that they've got, Andre Johnson, Ricky Pearsall, Roman DeWiss, Connor Soley, Anthony Cooper, the local ones, I'm telling you, I'm out there every single Friday. They are... Maybe not in the top five as far as the best kids, the Jake Smiths, the Ty Robinsons, the Spencer Rattlers. They're maybe not at that level. But everything after that is just, can you play football or not? Are you big enough or are you not? Are you fast enough or are you not? Can you handle coaching? These are five high-character guys that they got from the state of Arizona so far. Physically impressive and every single one of them is crushing their competition right now. What more do you want? Besides, obviously, the affirmation from us at Rivals. So I'll give my stamp of approval to this Anthony Cooper commitment. I don't really have... There's really only one commitment they've taken so far that I that I haven't necessarily um, seen eye-to-eye -eye with, and that was Joey Capra, and he turned around and flipped to Oregon. So I don't have an issue with this recruiting class, and I think Anthony Cooper is going to be a pretty decent addition to a class that, you know, loses... Uh, 
Doug Soodle and, and loses uh, Jalen Bates over the next couple of years and is going to need to replace somebody who can play on the inside or the outside. Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I would say that Arizona State, uh, you know, despite not necessarily having um, a, a resume of offers that you would say, oh, you know, we beat out all these teams, we should be proud of it. I think this is a, a, this is a hometown hero that you can absolutely get behind and should. Mama Mavis, oh mama, they try my patience. It's gone. Who is left to save us? We mourn. I'm praying for my neighbors. They say the devil's at work and is calling favors. You say I'm dangerous. I speak for the nameless. I fly with the vultures. I be with them bangers. If change don't come, then the change won't come. If the bands make them dance, then the rain gon' come. Woo! Am I passing to the light? Looking to your Jedi ASU, uh, one of my favorite people, he he gathered up some of the tweets about Herm Edwards, uh, about Arizona State in the wake of the Arizona State when he made a Twitter moment series out of him. He posted it on the message board at devilsdigest.com. I got some enjoyment out of out of uh, reading some of these tweets um, about him, some of the stuff that just came out of it. Uh, the the media this week has been a treat. I, I'm an easily amused person who uh, also finds it very easy to find reasons to be even more amused than I should be. Um, and so, some of these tweets were, were, first of all, there was one from Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, who tagged Herm Edwards and said, My man, at Herm Edwards, and the Sun Devils, awesome game last night. Thanks for the great job by you, your staff, and the team. You're making us proud. Now, for the old heads... It doesn't get better than Reggie Jackson talking ASU football, tagging Herm Edwards. I mean, that, that's about as cool as it gets. Um, I, I mean, just some of these some of these tweets were uh, were really 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 funny. Um, but probably the the funniest thing that happened uh, wasn't it wasn't a tweet. Um, it was somebody unearthing an article from this summer. It was just a random person who who wanted to know more about why Arizona State is having success. And I'm going to try not to crack up laughing while I talk about this, but this is the highlight of my week, maybe of my month so far, was someone unearthed an article where it listed the the average age of uh, of everyone on each college football team and the data that they used came from CBS Sports and uh and this article which was written in the summer it's not like it was written in response to the Arizona State win or or anything like that this article said that Arizona State had the oldest team in the country the oldest team in the country uh, which, I mean, if you follow Arizona State, like, no, so already, you know, it's not correct, right? You, you've, you, you already have more than enough reason to take issue uh, with what they're saying. But this average age that they listed, I, <laughs> I mean, what do you think the oldest, the oldest team as far as average age in college football is probably BYU, right? I mean, they, they, they get a lot of guys that go on three-year missions, come back, get started, then redshirt immediately, and all of a sudden you got a 22-year-old freshman, okay? So even if, you, even if you started, if all of your freshmen started their college careers at 22 years old, they can only go until 26, 27 before they graduate. And that's if every single person on your team was in that position. 
So the average age of a college football team where everybody started at age 22 would probably, with the way that, you know, rosters cycle out, turnover and everything like that, would probably at the very most be 25 years old. And that's if everyone on your team started at 22 years old, which is not the case at BYU, by the way. But this <laughs> this article, which is on Herosports.com, uh, it was it said that the average age of Arizona State's players was 24.8 years old, almost 25 years old. It was by a guy named Andy Kafaro, who I feel bad since then. He's taken the article down. He's apologized to everybody involved. He was using CBS Sports analytics, okay? So he, it's, it's not his fault, but he should have. And he reached out to me personally, and he was like, hey, I don't know what happened here. But I was like, look, you should have at least understood the fact that a freshman comes in at 18 years old. So if you get the standard 18 to 20, 18 year olds that come into your program, to balance that out and have an average age of 25 would mean that you'd need 18 to 20 seniors who were 32 years old and playing college football. Like the fact that, 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 that Andy, if you're out there, you're probably not listening and I apologize for having to laugh at your expense, but the fact that you look at some data that says that the average age of a college football team is 25 years old and don't immediately say like, no, those are men, that's impossible, is hilarious to me. But somehow this gets published over the summer and then someone unearths it and says, so this might be the reason why Herm Edwards has been so successful. The average age of his team is 25 years old. So I, I don't know, I, I got a pretty good laugh out of that. The reason that it got way funnier than it even needed to be is that Jeremy Hawkins, the assistant media relations director for ASU, catches the tweet and he writes, the average age of our official 110-man roster is 20.2 years old, which would make us the third youngest team according to the data, which is obviously incorrect as is. The article needs to be amended since it's making its round. The article needs to be deleted off the face of the internet and someone needs to figure out what's going on at CBS Sports, but the fact that I, I tweeted a, a joke about it and that ASU Assistant Media Relations Director Jeremy Hawkins ultimately ended up involved uh, in correcting the data is, oh my God, it's just the funniest thing in the entire world to me. So a uh, hilarious week in media, a big week of people eating crow, a big week, a week of tweets being completely misinterpreted. Um, Hode Rubino, Devil's Digest, tweeted out a quote from Herm Edwards, you know, that said a lot of coaches, <laughs> a lot of coaches are just trying to score you know, points, um, and that's not necessarily what, what you need to be doing. Now, this tweet was taken so out of context, and intentionally so. I think people wanted to make a joke uh, of it and, and did a very good job of making a joke of this tweet. But, you know, Hoderbino tweets out this out of context Herm Edwards tweet that makes it sound like he's against scoring points. And people just took it and ran with it, and it's just been... It's just been a fantastic week. I am really, really enjoying it. There was also some 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 terse response to Hode Rubino, you know, letting people know that University of Arizona was 0-2 and, and, and ASU was is 2-0 and, and that a lot of the people that said that Arizona State, you know, 
absolutely uh, screwed up by not hiring Kevin Sumlin are probably going to be pretty quiet this week. And, uh, you know, that 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 particular tweet didn't go over very well either. And so social media is just so much fun when people are getting proved wrong. It was just a, a, a long week of almost everybody at Arizona State feeling like the guy who runs that old Tweets Exposed account. So a lot of, a lot of fun this week on the social media, which is going to probably continue to happen if Arizona State continues to win games. Um, but definitely if you get a chance, check out that Twitter moment put together by Jedi ASU. Everything's just all in in one place, uh, and, and some of that stuff's pretty funny to look at in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I've seen San Diego State play. They're all right. They should have beat Stanford. And I'm being completely serious about that. They And, and it was more that Stanford was just playing absolutely terrible football. By the time Stanford uh, took advantage of the fact that San Diego State didn't capitalize on on some of the gifts that they'd given them, like the first pass of the game, hitting a linebacker right in the hands and falling down that would have been a pick six, or the fact that uh, San Diego State did get an interception and then fumbled it back to uh, back to Stanford right before halftime. By the time Stanford figured out that San Diego State wasn't going to go out and win this game and that they could just toss the ball up to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, you know, the... the there was no deficit for Stanford to come back from. So they end up getting a pretty big win over San Diego State, and they're a tough team. And Herm Edwards, Danny Gonzalez, everybody, they're showing San Diego State a lot of respect this week. I don't personally have that same respect. Um, if I'm having to make a prediction, I would say that Arizona State's probably going to win this game by 20. You know, maybe not maybe maybe not three touchdowns, but I'm, I'm looking at 34-14 to 14 right now and feeling pretty good about it. Maybe 37-17. Um, but this is a San Diego State team that's going to be missing their starting quarterback. They're going to be missing the defensive linemen that caused most of the issues for Arizona State last year. Arizona State has had the advantage of practicing in practice against this 3-3-5 defense that Danny Gonzalez was part of. You know, they're going to know how to expose it, and they, they have the talent. To be honest, San Diego State does not, under Rocky Long, they've been successful, but they just don't get the recruits that they should. If, I mean, if I'm the head coach at San Diego State, there is absolutely no reason, no reason why you shouldn't at least be recruiting on the level that, say, a University of Arizona does. Because University of Arizona, they get a lot of those three-star players out of California. But where is Rocky Long telling a lot of these kids, hey, you can stay in California. We're going to play against teams like Stanford every single year. We're going to take it to them. We've had a lot of success here. We've gotten guys to the NFL. I've never felt like San Diego State has done a good job capitalizing on all that they have to offer, where the school is located, uh, the history, the alumni. Um, and yet still they coach these guys up and they're competitive every single year. And as somebody who's from Wyoming and I'm a Wyoming football fan, I can tell you that they are an absolute thorn in the Mountain West side. They're a fantastic football team year in and year out. But there is absolutely no reason that they should be competing with Colorado State 
for recruits every single year. They should be competing with... They, you should be able to convince some guys that are thinking, hey, should I go to Tempe? Should I go to Tucson? You know, should I go to UNLV? Or should I stay where I'm from in California by the beach and go to this school uh, that's had a lot of success and that plays a lot of big-time games anyway? So I'm never, the, the talent is not there for them to compete with Arizona State head-to-head. Now, obviously, talent means nothing when... Uh, what what what's that colloquialism? What that saying that uh, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard? Well, there's a lot of talent that doesn't work hard, especially in the Pac-12, and that's where San Diego State is able to come in, and 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 maybe th- that comes back to the type of guys that they recruit that have that mindset. Maybe not getting such talented guys actually puts them in the position to succeed. You never really know, and so you know it's a situation where, but where if you actually line up what Arizona State has to offer versus what San Diego State has to offer, you would take Arizona State's roster every single time. Arizona State's playing at a high level, and San Diego State is missing key pieces of their team. So if you have any expectation for San Diego State to come out and repeat what they were able to do last year, you shouldn't have those. That was a game in which they took a risk against Arizona State. They committed a penalty on almost every single play and just dared the refs to throw a flag. They were more aggressive. They wanted it more. ASU was playing tight. They were afraid to make mistakes. Now, this is not that ASU. They're going to they're going to punch back. This ASU team is going is is not afraid to go out and get a penalty if they need to just to make sure that they stay loose and that their team and teammates know that you have their back. They're not going to let JoJo Wicker get taken down by the other teams, you know, starting saying you're not going to let him get tackled without responding, you know. So, uh I, I do not have the same level of, of respect for this San Diego State team that, that Herm Edwards is putting out there. Herm Edwards is a classy guy. He, he, he shows respect to his opponent regardless, which is going to put ASU in, in, in better position. And as he said, you know, stay hungry and leave it on the grass. These catchphrases that Herm Edwards put out there that ASU's marketing department somehow has all, already managed to get merchandise made up. I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, Her, Herm Edwards is probably going to have this team prepared. And, and obviously they're coming off of losing last year. They're going to remember that. Uh, I, I just don't think it's going to be a good night for San Diego State. Um, some of these quotes from Herm Edwards uh, about uh, San Diego State, uh, a lot of the respect that he had for them was uh, because of their defense, which he went out and got Danny Gonzalez for himself. He got Tony White, the defensive back coach, for himself. Um you know, I, I think that a lot of what he respected about San Diego State, he co-opted. So uh, we, we run the defense that they that they ran, you know, according to Herm Edwards. Uh, you know, they, we're, they're, they're going to take the attitude that Danny Gonzalez and Tony White helped impart to the Aztecs. They're going to instill that at Arizona State. And so uh, I just, I, I don't see a lot of hope for San Diego State, even being at home, even knowing that they... Uh, that they beat Arizona State last year, um, I just I just don't I personally don't see it. Uh, I will say that you should definitely go to DevilsDigest.com, check out the film study of San Diego State's defense from Jordan K, because you'll be able to actually understand a little bit better of what Arizona State is doing defensively by reading that film study. And also make sure that you check out San Diego State's offense. Uh, Jeff Griffith um, wrote a lot about uh, a lot about that and. 
Um, you know, there there's some film excerpts and gifs on there for you to um, for you to understand. There, there's some obviously very good blocking schemes out there that Jawan Washington's able to uh, to run behind. They also just recruit massive offensive linemen. Uh, that that are a lot harder to move. You're not going to see Rennell Wren due to some of these guys, what he did to the Michigan State offensive line um, last week. And if you do, you know, I will gladly admit that, that that I'm wrong, but they're they're very big, they're hard to move, and so you have to find ways to, to make it actually work against San Diego State uh, by not necessarily allowing for them to have to have those holes, you know, when when San Diego State's line all crashes down and it creates a hole, you have to make sure that they're actually not able to move you so that that hole doesn't open up and you're able to bottle up, you know, their running back. They've got very athletic running backs um, who who play aggressive, who hit the hole hard. I do not think that Arizona State is going to maintain their standing as the number one run defense in the country. And if they do, man, there's going to be a lot of people talking about ASU football. So make sure that you head over to devilsdigest.com, read up a little bit on San Diego State. My personal prediction for this game is Arizona State 34, San Diego State 14. And last but not least, on this edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast, I'm going to get to some of your questions. And we had quite a few of them, actually. Some asked out in the open on Twitter, and some asked uh, on the huddle message board on devilsdigest.com. And I want to make sure that I get to as many of those questions as possible. Um, I will say that uh, I'm I'm a big fan of anyone uh, that uh, that joins up, supports what we do, um, you know, if you you buy a subscription to DevilsDigest.com, then that gives Hoderbino money to turn around and, and pay me, and I'm a big fan of uh, of of getting paid money. Uh, I like to go out and spend it uh, on food. I like to eat food. So if you want to help me eat food, then you should subscribe to DevilsDigest.com. Uh, if you think I should lose a little bit of weight, then uh, pay more money because the diet food's more expensive. So there you go. Uh, I, I will say that I want to I want to talk about this before I get to the Q and A uh, because Joe Healy posted a thread on DevilsDigest.com where he quoted Danny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator, as saying, "Quote: I wish that we didn't have to play this game." Uh, unquote. And he said, "Is anyone concerned by this statement? Is there reason to be?" Um, and I, I want to answer this. I know that it wasn't directed toward me, uh, you know, as part of the Q and A. But I do want to talk about this. To me, I wish we didn't have to play this game. Coming out of Danny Gonzalez's mouth is him saying, "I am so sorry for what we're about to do to San Diego State." I don't think it's the kind of regret that comes from a tough situation. I think it's the kind of regret that comes from understanding your own power. Uh, so to answer Joe Healy's question, I'm not concerned by Danny Gonzalez repeatedly saying he wishes that they didn't have to play that game. Um, I'm concerned for San Diego State that that's Danny Gonzalez's uh, reaction. 
Uh, and again, you know, if San Diego State wins this game, I'll happily uh, eat my words on that. I love to be proven wrong, but I don't take that quote to mean that uh, that Arizona State um, should have any fear whatsoever over the trepidations of Danny Gonzalez returning to his home from the last few years. I think that it's one of those things where, you know, you sell your house that you grew up in and, uh, and then, you know, you move somewhere sunnier. And then you watch a hurricane come and wipe out that house. <laughs> you know, you don't live there anymore. You feel bad that it happened and you have all your memories there. And, you know, but you knew it was a possibility and that's why you moved in the first place. So I, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not concerned. We'll just, we'll, we'll put it that way. So uh, let's look at some of these questions that were asked on the actual message board of devilsdigest.com. Uh, and one of the questions from Santan Devil was, do you ever notice recruits actively rooting or cheering for ASU on the sideline, uh, whether it's a committed or uncommitted prospect? And I will tell you that I do not. I do not usually see recruits uh, cheering in the way that fans cheer. I will tell you that they root on their friends because a lot of them know players on the team on either side. Um, the way that they support each other, the way that they cheer is to, you know, if Nikhil Harry goes up and, and, and gets a ball, you know, they're going to address him more as a peer than a fan. You know, they're, they're going to congratulate him. They're going to kind of bark at him from, from wherever they're at and say, you know, that, you know, that's good stuff, Nikhil or whatever. Uh, you know, they want to see big plays. They want to see exciting football like anybody else. Uh, but as far as like actually rooting for the team to be good, they're more like fantasy football players, um, uh, or at the actual people who play fantasy football at the NFL level, they're watching the game to see who they know and what they're invested in at that level. Because a lot of these guys, they have, you know, if not a direct connection to, then a six degrees of separation type connection to where they know by reputation only. They consider themselves to be peers. They they envision themselves being at that level. And so uh, I do not see a lot of fan reactions from recruits. Um, but that is a really cool question. And, and I'll, I, I mean, I'll, I'll probably be looking for it from here on out. Um Here's a question from Leaks on the devilsdigest.com message board. What has been the most surprising positive development that you did not expect so far, uh, not including the good start by the defense? Um, and then another question he asked is, what is my biggest concern moving forward? Uh, my biggest concern is keeping the quarterback healthy because you don't really know what's going on behind Manny Wilkins. So right now, Manny Wilkins is very important to this team, and, and that that's... For me, that is my main concern. The most surprising positive development that I did not expect so far is how well Danny Gonzalez calls a defense, having not had that responsibility uh, all to himself at San Diego State. Um, the the It's not just the base alignments that they're lining up in, but it's the calls that they're making, uh, which I talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast, that are just very impressive to me. Um, here is a question from Sun Devil Rob. Someone mentioned earlier, how do you fill up ASU's last few spots in recruiting? Uh, I think they've got a lot of help on the off offensive side of the ball. I think that you look for them to grab a couple more defensive linemen and fill out the defensive backs. Um, you know, there, there's some California guys that they're definitely recruiting really hard as far as that goes uh, to, to get some defensive backs in here. And then as far as the defensive line goes, um, you know, they're, they're in on some high-level recruits still. Uh, and, and it'll just be interesting to see how it shakes out. There's a guy I really like named Alonzo Hall um, out in Southern California, and, and I think Arizona State's still in 
on him. I think he'd be a good complement to DJ Hecker, give him another six foot five guy to rush on the outside that they could develop in the mold of a, of a Jalen Bates. And so um, I would say that, you know, I think there's 13 now. I'd expect them to probably close out around 20 or 21. You know, of the eight that are left, it would be very important to me for ASU to make sure that six of those are, are defensive linemen and defensive backs. Uh, let's see another question here um, from ASU Nutgirl on the DevilsDigest.com message board. Uh, I would love to hear your analysis of our quarterback recruits and if I think that they would be ready to play next fall. It sounds like Ryan Kelly won't be a factor due to injury, so his position worries me the most. Um, I think that Ryan Kelly, it's up in the air. I don't think you can make any definitive decision on Ryan Kelly until he's cleared to go ahead and get started again in about a month. So, uh, you know, if he comes out and he has trouble... Um, and it's sustained trouble, then, you know, then obviously you can make a decision that you're not able to depend on him then. But, you know, his shoulder was surgically repaired and you have to let that process run its course. As far as rehab goes, you got to be patient there. And so I would say that uh, um, as far as the recruits that are coming in, Ethan, the best thing about Ethan Long, the, the guy out of uh, Oregon, is that while he's not the best passer in the world, not the best pure passer, they run an offense where he throws like 30 to 40 times a game, so he gets a ton of live reps. And so that'll give ASU a really good idea of what they need to work on by the time he gets here. I do not see him as somebody that's ready to start as a freshman. Uh, Joey Yellen is interesting because, I mean, all the guy does is win. I, I, I'm still not sure. I'd have to check his last couple of weeks' games, but I think any game that he's ever thrown a pass in, any regular season game, they've won. So he's a winner. He makes smart decisions. He's not going to go out there and tear it up with his feet, uh, but he does throw a good ball, and he's big and physical. Will he be ready to play as a freshman? I think you would rather not see him play as a freshman. So I think you would want Dylan Sterling Cole or Ryan Kelly to hold down that position next year. I'm not completely opposed to the idea of even looking at a Juco guy that's maybe a two for two or something like that. Like even a Thomas McVitie at Mesa Community College who's 6'5", 225, can run the ball, was at Pitt for a few years, so understands high-level competition. Just as a stopgap in case you really don't think Dylan Sterling Cole or Ryan Kelly are going to be the guy. Because I don't, I personally don't see Joey yelling. I mean, they're going to come in, they're going to compete, and they're going to do everything they can to be ready. But if JT Daniels, one of the best high school quarterbacks of the last 10 years, you know, is struggling as bad as he is at USC right now. I, I don't turn around and then see, no, Joey Yellen or Ethan Long is going to be better than JT Daniels. So um, currently, no, I do not see them contributing. And uh, and I would think that if ASU did want a new quarterback to contribute, they're going to have to look to maybe bring in a third. Uh, DGE1985 um, asks if I see a quarterback transfer possibly coming in. They could actually definitely bring in a grad transfer. I know that people keep bringing up guys like Jalen Hurts, uh, who who has been replaced by Tua Tagovailoa out at out at Alabama. You know, it's definitely possible uh, a, a grad transfer or or a JUCO guy. I would not be opposed to it for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, the original Sun Devil for life. One of my favorite posters uh, says, do you see any off-the-radar studs who may flip our way? And if so, what would you see this staff doing with those already committed? Um, well, I think, that, I think that they're going to 
probably hang on to everybody that they already have, but there is a guy that they did get out to the game named Brett Johnson, who is a defensive tackle from Desert Vista High School. And I like this kid enough to say that I would think that if everything goes according to plan and potential, you look 10 to 15 years down the road, and I think Spencer Rattler's probably the guy that you look back on and say, you know, he was definitely the best in the local class of 2019. But Brett Johnson, he, he could be one of the top two or three. You know, there's Ty Robinson's obviously super talented as well, but Brett Johnson's committed to Cal right now, and they at least got him out to the game. And so, you know, if, they, if, you, if you're coming out to the game, then you're telling people that there's a chance that you're listening. So there's a possibility that they could flip that kid. I'm not 100 you know, he's kept his recruitment so quiet that I'm not really going to have any news about it, whether they, whether they do or not. But that one was very interesting to me. And I see you had a follow-up question here that says, do you see any of our current commits getting a bump in stars based off their play so far? I'll tell you right now, Adam Gorney works hard. He's the uh, 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 recruiting uh, analyst director for the entire West Coast, but he doesn't ever get out to Arizona. So um, he's going to probably be depending a lot more on my evaluations of the high school kids. Uh, I will tell you right now, I personally have some of these guys evaluated as, as higher than they're currently set at, and I'm going to be giving him my recommendations. And if he listens to them, then yeah, they'll go up. Uh, because there's a lot of players out in Arizona. This is probably the deepest class that we've ever had. And since he hasn't seen a lot of these guys in person, I'm going to try to give him an assist as somebody who works for Rivals. Um, you know, not 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 doing any uh, hometown uh, type, you know, home cooking stuff for Arizona State to bump those rankings up um, or anything like that. Just giving my 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 honest evaluation on some of these guys. And you know, I very much believe that Andre Johnson, Ricky Pearsall, Roman Dewis, guys like that are deserving of consideration to have a little bit of a bump in their rankings. And Anthony Cooper is somebody I. Uh, who I've talked at length about being being somebody that I'm, I'm a huge fan of and, and think that he should have a lot more offers than he already does. So uh, I would I would say yes. The answer is yes. Um, Brad Denny with a question. Do you foresee another strong finish to this December signing day like there was in February? Uh, you, you shouldn't because you want to already have everything sort of locked down by then. But I think there are some guys that they believe will commit that are going to wait until the December signing day. And so um, you'll, I think I don't know if there'll be any surprises. If you subscribe to devilsdigest.com, you shouldn't be super surprised by some of the commits. And then you asked, what was your favorite moment from your first 25 Speak of the Devil appearances? I will say that my favorite moment from any Speak of the Devils podcast is when I say something questionable. Uh... And I'm in the room with both you and Joe, and and you give me a little bit of a startled look, and and Joe just sort of nods his head. That is my favorite moment every single time. I love being part of Speak of the Devils, um, uh, just the the absolute best podcast of anyone in the Pac-12, any 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 uh, hometown coverage podcast. It, it's by far the best. You guys do an incredible job, and thank you for having me on. Uh, we got one more. What is my take on? Coach Herm Edwards' sideline management, does he get involved with offense or defense or special teams or let them handle adjustments? I think he lets the offense and the defense do what they're supposed to do. You hire coordinators to coordinate. Um, I don't think he interferes too much. What he does do is if he sees issues with individual players, part of letting your coaches coach is to be able to put out those small fires. So he, he's got who he wants calling his offense. He's got who he wants calling his defense. Now it's up to him to use his coach's eye to say, oh, this person seems frustrated or uh, this person's technique is a little bit off. And he goes around and he just kind of does little maintenance things. And and, uh, and I would say that that's favorable um, over what Arizona State had been experiencing the last couple of years with not necessarily having all the trust in the world for your coordinators. So, um, 
yeah, I'm, I, 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 I like his sideline management just fine. Uh, and then let's see, I think we got a couple of more questions that came uh, via Twitter, and I'm going to see if I can find those. And I do want to bring up that, you know, uh, the more that you, you're allowed to like two things, and there are a lot of things that I liked about the way that Todd Graham uh, conducted business at Arizona State, but I think that objectively it was pretty obvious that uh, that there were some things that needed to change. Now, whether or not those things that, uh, whether or not those things that changed changed for the better is something that we'll find out in the long term. So on Twitter, Tyler Greenwald asked, why did Man why does Manny always wear long sleeves? Um, I don't know. Maybe he just feels like he has skinny arms. I think that if you're, I, I think that everybody should wear sleeves after seeing Tim Tebow go out there and sling it with giant triceps and biceps. I, 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 that would make me want to wear long sleeves if I was a quarterback. I, it's not for tattoo reasons or anything like that, I don't think. Um, Richie McCone asks, are there more local players that ASU has a decent chance of landing in this class? I feel like I've kind of answered uh, a little bit of that. Um, you know, I think that they're holding out hope for a guy like Kaheem Walid. I think that they, you know, they're, they're trying to stay in it with Ty Robinson. Um, they're trying to get Brett Johnson's attention, who's a Cal commit. Noah Pola Gates is a four-star safety who I think that they feel like, um, you know, they, they're in a pretty good position with. He's very, very fast and they would love to, to have him be part of the class. So I think there are quite a few guys that they're still in it with, um, but I, don't, I think that if it ended and these were the only Arizona guys they got, I think they'd probably be satisfied with that. And then E underscore devil underscore 15, will we expect Karan Crump to be the Crump of old any time this year? Ooh, I don't think so. I really don't think that you that it would be right to expect Karan Crump to go out there and be the laser-guided missile that he was before his injury. So it's going to really kind of fall to Crump to be a little bit craftier. When when guys get injured, when they have these catastrophic knee injuries, a lot of them can rely on the fact that they were already maybe bigger or stronger players to begin with. Um, so if you're, if you're, especially if you're a linebacker, you know, laterally the side-to-side -side movement matters. Um, but you, you know, it, for you, it's just a matter of making sure that you're in the right position, that you understand the playbook and everything like that. That was never really what ASU used Karan Crump for. Karan Crump was here for one reason and one reason only to go get the quarterback. And so if this in any way, shape or form has affected his acceleration, uh, and his top speed and, you know, it, it's hard to imagine him playing every week and then also, getting better because people typically get more nicked up as the season goes along could it happen absolutely but i don't personally expect karan crump to be the same Karan. so he needs to get a little bit more crafty he needs to probably understand the defense a little bit better than he does now if he's going to turn around and make a different kind of impact but he's still fast and he still knows how to go and get the quarterback so um, I, I think you could expect to see him make some plays, but I don't think it'll be this Karan Crump of old. A big thank you to everybody who listens and everybody who subscribes to devilsdigest.com. Uh, if you would like, you can follow me on social media at Ralph Amsden or at ASU underscore rivals. And if you're into the high school football stuff, high school football scene, you can follow me at AZHSFB uh, for all Arizona high school football. That's all I got. We'll catch you next time.
I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself In the devil town Devil Town